to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, looking at the rest of chapter 5 as we've been going along through um, the book of Acts. And uh, we've got a few more weeks left. And remember, we're just going to break up the book of Acts in three different parts. Uh, Lord willing, we'll do part one. Um, this uh, spring semester, and then part two, um, the next spring semester, and then part three, the next spring semester. So break up those 28 chapters in uh, three different sections. Um, and so um, today we're going to be um, looking at, mainly there's two big sections in this, in this little, little piece in, in 5, 12 through 42. So it's a long little section. It's just an ongoing story, so it's easy to track with. But we're going to try to bring out some things to help us to think through what that was like for those original hearers, those people in the crowd, um, what they were going through, but also some of those implications uh, for our lives, um, some of the significance for our lives. And so um, the first thing that we're going to see there is... Um, just the reestablishing of the health of this church, um, the health of this body. Um, and, and the reason I say reestablishing, it's the renewal of a focus of their mission. And the reason I say that is because um, if you remember, um, in this small church plant, um, the, that then God began to work miracles and signs, and then more people were brought in, 3,000 people were saved, and then uh, there was some persecution, and then 2,000 more people, uh, probably, probably maybe around 4,000 more because it says 2,000 men, and usually in the Bible when it says that it's saying 2,000 men representing women and children also, so you can women and children involved with that also. So church has grown, but um, there's, then there's this persecution that happens, and they come out rejoicing. And then if you remember uh, at the end of chapter 4, then um, Barnabas, the guy that we know is the, Paul's future travel companion and church planter and missionary partner, Barnabas just sells this land that he has and takes the proceeds and gives it to the church. And, and why? Because he saw needs there. And so he just had this heart of generosity. And then Ananias and Sapphira go, oh man, that's really impressive. Everyone really likes Barnabas. Barnabas is kind of moving up in the, the church uh, status. And so, hey, let's sell our land and, and then we're going to go and we're going to tell them, hey, here's all the money from the land, but yet we're keeping back some. And so uh, Ananias drops dead as Peter's confronting him. So the Lord gave some revelation uh, to, to Peter. And, uh, but also there had been some talk, because you learn from that, that when they talk with Sapphira also, um, he asks, Peter asks her, did you guys sell it for this much? And she's like, yes, we sold it for this full amount that we brought to the church. And she drops dead also. And so we see there the first and most serious ever um, exercise of God's church discipline. So again, like if you're just a church member, you're visiting, you've been working on getting your, your neighbors to come with you. And then you're like, oh, is that the preacher up there, Peter? And then poof, just someone drops dead. And then the wife, you know, a couple hours later, just drops dead. You're like, I think we're going to check out the other church down the road. And so, um, but a seriousness of sin is, is really considered from that point on. So that's what happened. And so you got to think through there, um, man, what's going to happen now? There were probably in the leadership and also the church people, probably some fear. Like, has God uh, finished working with us? Is God done with us? 
What's gonna happen now? The Spirit's been powerfully working, changing all these people's lives, and now what's gonna happen? Um, so a very traumatizing thing. And so we're gonna see them have this renewal of the, the church's health and mission. But also we're gonna see, secondly, uh, we're gonna see another case of persecution and arrest because they're proclaiming the gospel and because they're living out what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, that you're gonna, um, you're gonna, the Spirit's gonna come in power and you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so um, we're going to read through that. Let me, let me um, turn to Acts chapter 5 there. If you want to read with me on your Bible, uh, on your device, and also we'll have it on the screen. It's quite a big part, so try not to doze off. In verse 12 there, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that um, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple of the, and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as, as, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, these days, Thutis rose up proclaiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, 
you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you are sovereign over crazy events and crazy circumstances, even as we see in the scriptures, as, as, as believers are trying to be obedient, trying to um, hear your word, trying to obey your word, trying to be led by the Spirit, seeing you work powerfully does not necessarily mean that there won't be attacks and persecution and opposition. And so, Father, um, we see that in this situation that you are in complete sovereign control, that you could have done many things, but you wanted your people to remain in love with you, caring and in love with one another, and to be concerned about the lost outside of the kingdom, that your kingdom and your gospel would go forward as a movement. And so we're amazed that you can go beyond our sin and even the sins of of those who would be the most opposed to this Christian message, to this Christian movement, that you are sovereign even over man's sin and man's um, horrible events that they bring upon people, that you are in control and that you are loving and good in that even as we don't understand those circumstances sometimes. And so we are amazed at your power and your glory in that. Would you help secure our hearts as as we're in a time, Lord, where our our own nation and many nations around the world have um, just just faulty leaderships. Um, We're we're stricken by a, a time when people don't know who to listen to, don't know who to trust, don't know who to listen to to get their truth, and everyone thinks that they're right and correct. And yet, God, we need more than ever a time of discerning your word, a time of sitting under your word, a time of being led by the Spirit, and a time of truly crying out for you to um, open people's eyes to see the truth. Um, And the truth is not about a a nation or a political force or the economics or um, just our own personal health, but instead it's about the souls upon the people around us. And So would you give us a focused vision of that? Would you remind us what we're living for? We pray that your spirit would do that in power. In your name we pray, amen. So um, looking back there, just again, just crazy situation. What, what's God gonna do in this situation after Ananias and Sapphira fall dead? Um, again, a very, very difficult situation. And so now we're gonna see the beauty of these people coming together, um, even with the, the leaders, the apostles are the ones taken off in church. And that would be difficult if, if, if the people were gathering and listening to the teaching from God's word and then um, the leadership's kind of taken off. What happens? And you see God's shepherding protection there that happens. And so in that first little section there, 12 through 16, we're gonna see um, this um, important reestablishment of health, but also uh, one important point that, that, that Luke's one to throw in there to keep us uh, focused here. And so note God's favor there. He says, many signs and wonders are being regularly done by the hands of the apostles. And again, just so you'll know, um, there there was a significant um, outpouring onto the apostles. Now remember, there wasn't churches all over the land. There were synagogues, just synagogues. There was definitely other religious uh, entities and and, uh, worship areas for other deities. And so now here's this new little branch, this new thing with Jesus as the Savior, Jesus as the only way to heaven. And so 
that, as that was going forward, God was using signs and wonders by those apostles. And so that was happening. So there was this outpouring of power there, and it says there, it was being done by the hands of the apostles. We know church history shows us that after those apostles died off, so John being one of the last ones probably after the, the turn of the first century there, um, and he, writing his last letter there around 96 AD, um, but after that, um, some of the signs and the wonders continued, but they didn't completely shut off, just, just completely cease, but they, they had um, continued, but they just uh, diminished in uh, the number of those. And what we've seen that as the gospel broke a threshold into a new area, a new village, uh, a new city, that, that God was using that to get attention, this miraculous thing just happened, and now they must be sent from God because uh, they've got a message about salvation. And so God used those signs and wonders. So that just helps you because we're in Tulsa. And with all the um, extreme charismatic flair that, that sometimes will tell people that you know if you're not doing these signs and wonders, then God's not present. If you're not seeing these things, then God's not present. I'm just saying in our context um, that that can happen. Um, I, last night, I spent or yesterday, I spent uh, over an hour and a half talking with Krebs over in Jordan. So we're going to pray for them later on. But um, um, he was saying that... So Man, they just had some crazy stuff happen where um, even just in the last couple of weeks, a woman who's come and, and everyone knew that she was blind in one of her eyes. I think it was her right eye. She was blind. And so, and, and they've kind of had some growth happening. They don't even know why. It was 20, 20 people for like three and a half years. And then they've started adding some people. And I told you a few weeks ago that they had a woman that come in and was demon possessed. And they prayed and cast out the demons. She's leading. She's helping work with worship and all kinds of stuff, like a worship leader now. But she's in the church coming every week, faith and everything. And so now a lady, uh, a couple of weeks ago, come with an, an eye that everyone knew she was blind in that eye. Um, and so most of us know that the whole optometry business thing is just a scam. Visine really clears up everything, right? So I joke Andy about that all the time. All my optometry friends are like, just, it's Visine. That, that answers everything. And so, uh, but truly, she's blind. They prayed for her and she went ecstatic, just rejoicing. And they're like, she really sees. And they like did the, the test, like, you know, the, hey, this. But then they, uh, she went to an actual doctor and said, she, she's no longer blind. So they're, I mean, and Krebs said, you know, what will we do? You know, we, we probably would be skeptical at first. He's like, man, to be honest, I was like, I don't know. You know, but then I started hearing other people like, she's really, she, we know she's been blind. And so why would God do that? Well, he doesn't want to do it here, here maybe because uh, CNN or, you know, you find out that this guy's like, you know, a, a, a slimy guy from the past or something. And he's just full of manufacturing lies. And so um, that happens in little churches. But, but man, God does that to, to, uh, to bring in the gospel message. And so um, that's a beautiful thing that, man, what do you do with that? That's crazy to hear. Um, that's, that's difficult for us to deal with. Again, and, and we, we tend to be very skeptical when you hear those things. Now, if it happens right in front of you, it's difficult to deal with. And so that's what's happening in this situation. Um, I got a picture up here of Solomon's portico. The, 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 I think it's the east side of that. On one side was where people would gather. And so it was just uh, as they would gather together, um, it, was, it was kind of a place where a lot of ideas were passed around. Um, so different philosophies, different educations that would come through an area. That would be a place that people would gather and go through. And so you see that they're gathering in Solomon's portico. There's learning, there's fellowship, there's sharing. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. And says there are multitudes of both men and women. So um, some important facts there. So right after Ananias and Sapphira, God's not done with them. God's not going to punish the church for that. Um, he, God is still working things. It says more than ever. So a beautiful picture there. And then it says this little statement here. None of the rest dared to join them 
but the people held them in high esteem. So there's, just to let you know, so interpretationally, um, the Greek is not clear on this. Um, is this talking about insiders, believers that are saying, we're just going to stay back and not join them out there? Or is it lost people? Um, I would land on, and a lot of people land uh, conservatively on, on that this was believers. And what they meant by this was, um, and I'll tell you both views, uh, this was the rest of the believers. And so remember right after we read this, that they're meeting in homes afterwards. So they're meeting in the temple. This is not the temple. This is Solomon's portico. They're meeting the synagogue, the temple, and that's where teaching was happening about Jesus now sometimes. And then they're meeting in home to home, uh, doing their small groups and little home settings. But um, this thing in Solomon's portico is going on also. And so um, why would believers not gather there? Well, first of all, you know, the people that um, keep arresting the apostles, who were they? They were the ones who arrested and killed Jesus. So like, hey, if I'm just kind of nominally in or just my first steps in, I might just stay back and, hey, I'll go to the small group and I'll go to the temple meeting. I don't know that I'm going to be out there in public because you guys have already got arrested in this area. And so and they're the ones who killed Jesus. Also, I saw last week where Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. I think I'm going to be patient from getting real close to Peter right now. So some people just said maybe those are playing in. Some people say that this was non-believers. But no matter what, the beautiful thing here is that um, um, just like with Jesus, notice that they had favor with all the people. So these people are seeing the, the, the beautiful things, the works of God, and the way that they're loving. They've created this grace in, in grace-oriented environment. And so just a beautiful uh, picture of, of, man, the church has new health right after this very uh, traumatic experience with Ananias and Sapphira. And so, and part of that is just for us to remember that there's things that are going to happen in the middle of times of growth and rejoicing and good things happen. And sometimes some shocking thing happens. It doesn't mean that God just, you know, just like decided to kill everyone off, but it's just some shocking things that happen sometimes. And, and when that happens, we, we, we still have to come together. We still have to uh, be the people of God. And so, um, and then uh, notice this one important fact. Um, he says this, and people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. So this is the first time that it's mentioning Acts 1.8. So remember what he, Jesus said to him. He's about to lift off and ascend to heaven. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power. Um, and then we learned that was boldness about proclaiming the gospel. And in this, in this power, you're going to be my witnesses in dangerous places. Jerusalem, and then it's going to spread to Judea and Samaria, so areas where people didn't like them. And so this is the first time that it's saying, hey, the gospel is spreading beyond Jerusalem. So a little picture there of that happening. It may, may seem small, but, but it's, it's showing us this is what's beginning to happen. Now, and in light of persecution, we're going to see in Acts 6 and 7 and 8, or 7 and 8, that, that because of the stoning of Stephen and Stephen getting killed there by th people throwing rocks at him, the gospel goes and spreads to Judea and Samaria. And so we're seeing through, through opposition and through persecution, the gospel continues to go forward. So just a, a little uh, beautiful picture there. So you see God's faithfulness. Um, there's unity, there's fellowship, there's teaching, there's serving. God's working these miracles and signs, and the gospel is saving people's lives. Now, again, it's a unique situation. It was kind of, you know, like a powder keg that God decided, this is the way I'm going to set this thing off at first in Jerusalem. Um, and so the gospel just poured out powerfully because he needed lots of believers. And so a beautiful picture. And so that's what was happening to renew um, those people's faith. And so it probably built their faith over those weeks after that had happened. They're going, oh, so God's still working here. I'm bringing my friends in. These beautiful things are happening. And then as all those good things are happening, you see this second part of uh, Acts chapter five where there's renewed persecution. 
Now, when we see renewed persecution, um, you want to be able to see faithful gospel persistence. So expecting opposition, knowing that we're, we're in a world that's set against us, that we've got um, the satanic forces, the demonic, but then we're also in just the fallen world. So remember those three areas that you can always pray against um, is you know, the satanic, uh, uh, demonic forces, but then just the fallen world we're in. It's, there's broken systems. There's brokenness. There's, there's hurt. There's, there's all kinds of uh, painful and, and sinful situations that destroy people's lives and influenced by Satan stuff, but sometimes it's just, just you know, the evil systems and the evil people in the world, um, temptations that you drive by and see, like, man, I I really wish I had that. I really wish I had that. I really wish I had that. We're tempted in all kinds of ways. And then sometimes that third area is just our own heart. Like Satan, he's kicked back in the recliner because your heart's so prone to evil. He doesn't have to even tempt you very much. You just go after stuff by yourself. And so it's not that the demonic are doing it. It it may not be um, that you're seeing things that are tempting you. It may be just your own heart. It could be some evil inside your heart that's coming out. And so we're going to see here, um, we need faithful gospel persistence. Um, Have you ever felt like... uh, in life, you're, you're, you're trying to go forward, you're trying to do things, you're trying to be obedient, um, you're trying to um, live towards God's ways and righteousness and stuff, and then it's, it, you're like Forrest Gump, like opening a, a box of chocolates, like you just don't know what you're going to get, like tomorrow is just a completely different day, and, and, and like, I'm trying to do these things, and then this thing, I open it up, and, and now there's some more bad news, or s- some more situations I don't understand, and so those things happen, and so we're getting a picture of this in, in Acts chapter 5. Um, and we, ha- we should be encouraged. Luke includes this so we can see that even though these people are very obedient, they're doing everything that they should be doing, still opposition and persecution comes. Um, they had to be thinking through that. Um, and so for us to uh, see this, we need to pause and go, so what's going on with God on this? Why does God allow opposition and persecution and, and, and bad events to happen, even inside a pocket that he's wanting to bless and wanting to flourish, why does God allow that to happen? Um, is there something about persecution or opposition that benefits us? Um, is, there, is there something that God knows that's fruitful in our soul's flourishing in allowing these things to happen? Um, why would suffering and, and persecution happen? Um, what do you learn through trials and persecution that you might not necessarily learn in times of prosperity and comfort? And if you, if you go through your decades, you probably have learned some things like that, that there are some things in, in trials and difficulty and pain that you don't necessarily learn as much when it's like the boss comes and says, hey, we're giving these bonuses, or hey, here's this new promotion, or uh, a new company and a new position, and just, man, more more uh, financial blessing, uh, more health for our family, um, more friends and more uh, prosperity. And so those are things that we shouldn't look over easily. We, we, we should be constantly thankful and grateful for those things. But then God allows sometimes in the middle of that, like, you know, maybe it's this, this health issue. You know, I like, mean, things are going good, but man, I've got this health issue and it's just slowing me down. Or this situation happened with my parents or with one of our children. And so it, it's kind of traumatizing sometimes. And so we wonder, what is it that, that happens during difficult times that God wants to teach us from that? Um, and just remember, God has purpose when you hit those seasons of life. It's not that he's out of control, because that's sometimes our first two thoughts is, God, this must be happening, it's beyond your control. Or secondly, 
if you're a good God, why are you letting this happen to us? And sometimes that's two days. Sometimes that's two hours. Sometimes that's two months. Sometimes that's two years or longer. Um, So God has a purpose in the pain in allowing opposition. Uh, But typically we're a people who try to avoid that. Um, It takes grit inside the person. And it takes the spirit. It's not just on you and your willpower. That's a dangerous thing to, to, to start learning to live life just on your own grit and willpower, barreling through stuff. You need to be dependent on God and humbled. Let him humble you. Let him do those things. Those are good for your soul instead of self-pride and my strongest will. Now, it, it takes you um, stepping forward and doing things in obedience, but it's not about, we don't want, we don't want to make the message in the church. As a believer, it's it's... God is small and you're huge and strong. That's that's not the message that we want to get across to people. Um, I think this is extremely significant for the church today to think through. I'd say especially in a culture of evangelicalism where much has been labeled as consumer church, kind of this this pick and choose the parts I'll take. Like I'll take the blessings, I'll take this part of it, but no, I'm, I'm not doing that and I'm not doing that and I'm not doing that. So it's this menu in Christianity or in church where I have options. It's optional packages. And so and sadly, churches have catered to that to where it's saying, hey, you can come and take part in this and take part of this, but man, you don't have to really live obediently. You don't really have to be very committed. You don't have to do this, and you don't have to do this. And so they've just made it very optional. And churches have set up that way. So what does that lead to when when some opposition and persecution hits someone's life? What do you turn to? Um, I'd say this especially needs to be considered in a mainstream a mainstream consumer mindset where following Jesus or Christianity is equated and presented only as prosperity and worldly success. So churches have learned and whole 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 mainstream groups of churches have learned if you want to keep people don't talk about sin, don't talk about difficulty, don't talk about opposition, talk about their life getting better and better. And why would you're entitled? You're child. You're a child of God. Only blessings are coming. So if you want to grow a church, that's the message people want to hear. That they want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel this little B12 boost as they leave every week. Of man, go. You're going to go this week and be super successful. God has ordained it to happen. You need to, to discover your God ordained potential, and that's powerful. We all love self, and now I feel like God's got his hand behind me. My God-ordained potential. You know what I could do? And then just throw out there, man, look, look, the world has lots of needs. Now, you're the answer, Superman. Go do it. Let's let's give ourselves a round of applause. And that's what happens. And so churches go, that's what people want to hear, secular humanism. Um, So... um, that that's, That's the danger that we're in when people have heard that as the main message, that following Jesus and Christianity is equated as only being about comfort and prosperity. Um, Just being happy. There's no cost, no sacrifice, no discomfort, or I'm out because I've got options. Don't bring that stuff up. And then what happens when life caves in on them? Um, Where's God in that? And so um, these folks in this situation are in the will of God um, at a very important time, foundational church period, and God still allows and uses these times of a seemingly dangerous opposition. And so as this all happens, here comes this high priest. So let's look in verses 17 through 18. Um, and I put up there, it's been there, done that. We've got the prison jumpsuit because uh, these apostles have been through this repeatedly. This is the second time now, early on, that they've been uh, in prison. The high priest rose up, all were with him. 
Um, that's the party of the Sadducees. And remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so um, they are having some problems with this. And so um, notice what he says there. Um, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison because they were filled with jealousy. So here are these guys that were the, the, the main teachers, the Jewish leaders of the church at that time. And now you've got this little pocket of people, and we hated Jesus anyway. But we all know that there have been, uh, there, there's estimates, I think that it's over a thousand at this point. Over a thousand people who had risen up and, and had, maybe over seven or eight hundred, that had risen up and said that I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And there would be a small following, a little cultish thing. That had been going on. So they were used to people raising up. They were not used to thousands of people being healed and, and this message and it going from village to village to village to village and this huge following and these people coming and following Jesus and seeing all these miracles and signs. But mainly when you, you can just tell when this person is speaking with authority. You can just tell that when he would speak, just the crowd's hearts would be captivated. And your job is to uh, be a religious leader and you had your staunch Old Testament you're teaching through and, and people aren't gathering together to hear that. People aren't gathering and selling their possessions to so they can give to the poor and needy. You're like, hey, if you're selling stuff, bring it to the synagogue. And yet you're watching this happen. And now you've killed Jesus and his movement is going on. And so all this is happening. And so some beautiful things there, and they're driven to jealousy. Um, notice that um, the, the things that they were probably most jealous over was first of all just Jesus and who he said he was. Like I said, there's other messiahs supposedly at that time, but they were thinking, if this guy is true, then we're on the wrong team here. If this message is true, we're on the wrong team. If he's true to the Messiah, and Gamaliel actually goes to that later on in this section of chapter 5. But secondly, the resurrection, and this is the big one. Notice they keep on mentioning, you guys keep teaching about this resurrection. You guys know that there's a new movie out called Cocaine Bear? So I don't know what, what prompted this idea, like what guys were sitting around like, hey, what about this idea? We're terrified of bears. What if a, pack, a whole bunch of packages of cocaine gets thrown out, the bear absorbs it and just goes nuts. Like, I mean, that, that's a crazy scenario. Like, let's make a movie. Like, I would think in like four minutes, be like, no, that's no, that's an, no one would go to watch that. But I guess it's a big movement. So you want to see uh, something scarier than a cocaine bear, take a churchy, religious righteous person who always thinks they're right and tell them they're wrong. Man, I've done it. Some of you have probably had to do it. Um, what was the big deal about the resurrection? If they're wrong about this, remember the Sadducees said there is no resurrection. Their whole knowledge and respect of people, their righteousness is nothing because they've been wrong about who God is. And they're supposed to be experts on this. So it wasn't just them wrong about the resurrection. It's also you murdered an innocent man then and you murdered God. Like that's a serious deal. And so they're defensive. They're not listening. And they're, they're, they're just entrenched and digging their heels in, hardening their hearts. And so you see that this is about their identity. They were used to being the respected religious leaders, the, the holy and righteous ones, the ones respected. And again, that happens in churches. People don't mean to be, but the longer we learn and the more knowledgeable and all these things, the more blogs I read, and the more systematic theology I don't disagree with me. How dare, do you know what I know? And guys, I've been around those circles. There's, there's, that can happen in seminaries. That can happen in, in churches. And so what happens is people are not able to 
humbly think through maybe the baggage I bring and, and what I've been taught previously, that may not necessarily be exactly what this was leading to. And that's what happens with the Sadducees. They, they, they love the first five books. They, don't, they, didn't, they didn't consider the Old Testament prophets. They only took the first five books of Moses' law. And so in that, they were, they were unwilling. They, they saw that as the slippery slope. They saw it as the dangerous liberal side. The rest of what we would call the Old Testament, that was the slippery slope to them. Why? Because this is, this is enough. This is the truth. And they weren't able to open their hearts to that. And so their whole identity was wrapped up in that. And so it goes from them being angered and with jealousy to let's go kill them. They want to kill them later on. So you see over, I mean, we're the righteous churchy crowd. We're the churchy leaders who have everything right. I want to murder these people. We've already murdered Jesus. I want to murder. Do you, do you see the, the, the danger there? That, that's how dangerous our hearts can be. Um, and so also they, they, they'd seen the influence. Just um, these crowds had turned from respecting them and were amazed at this other message. Um, so not only could, could sometimes some of us, and especially churches that, that do value right theology, we could struggle when it comes to learning and growing when it, when it comes to this, um, this is what I've always been taught, or our theological baggage from before. But we also may struggle um, when our beliefs are challenged or questioned by other believers. Um, usually because I'm right. I'm right. And we're not willing to be loving and patiently consider things. And so um, just that's what's going on with the Sadducees. You don't want to be on the wrong side there. If, if your theology and your doctrine doesn't lead to you loving people more and being more grace-oriented, then something's off here. And so um, we've got to be careful of those things. So then there's this weird scenario that happens in 19 through 26, this miraculous release, uh, this awkward meeting. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. So you got the apostles sitting in there. There's guards at the door. We learn later there's guards there, and the guards never saw the angel. Somehow, we don't know, you don't know what happens, uh, but the guards never noticed the guys walking out, and they weren't invisible. But the angel shows up, opens up the, the, the gates. There's guards outside, and then, oh, I mean, and just think of this. I mean, you're one of these apostles. You're like, okay, we just got in here. We got put in here for preaching in Solomon's portico, for preaching in G about Jesus. Angel shows up, hey, I want you to walk out and go back over there and start preaching again. You're like, okay. I mean, what do you do? You argue with the angel? And so um, they go out. No, none of the guards see it. So kind of a crazy situation that's going on. Um, and, and he tells them, speak about, preach about this life. And so we know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and so in that, they're going to continue to preach this message. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Um, as, he, as the angel shows up, imagine these, these high priests the next morning. High priest um, gathers uh, the, the Sanhedrin. He gathers this council. He gathers these elders and the leaders, this whole religious group. So this whole crowd of people. Now someone go get the, these apostles, these guys who are stirring up our city. And these poor guards go and they see that, man, they're not there. But the, the, the gate was locked and the guards are still out front. So it was just a miraculous situation. Um, and then, and notice what happened. They've got to be asking, you know, like, hey, they're not there. And so, man, you've got a, you've got a really sorry um, system of uh, police and all these things. Like, you can't even keep these weak apostles. Um, and then, hey, what are we going to do? This is kind of an embarrassing situation. And then, you know, how are we going to find them? And then some, you know, kind of dopey uh, uh, security guys like, hey, uh, 
the guys we just put in jail, hey, they're right out there teaching. That's, you know, he's like, shut up, shut up, stop. The guys we just arrested for teaching and preaching, they're out there doing that again. Like, and so just seeing there, the frustration, thinking through what that must have been for the apostles, thinking what that must have been for those, those leaders and the people. Um, so they go out to arrest them again because of their, but because of their popularity, they know that instead of the leaders grabbing them and going stoning and then, stoning them and killing them, um, if they do this wrong, the people were so supportive of these Christians that the people may turn on them. And so it says that they they were very careful about that. Um, they didn't understand the confusing circumstances, but they didn't let that distract them from obedience when this angel come, and then also the mission. So you see there that there's going to be bad things that happen. There's going to be hurdles and hurdles and hurdles, but it shouldn't distract us from this loving community, fellowship, the teaching and preaching of the gospel, and our mission to the lost world. And so um, as you're going through, as we're going through things as a church, as, as individual families, as individuals, there's going to be things that get in the way, and it doesn't line up the way you thought it was going to line up, and it shouldn't distract us. The pain or the suffering or the opposition can't distract us from being obedient there. And so um, they bring these accusations to them, and notice the accusations they bring. Uh, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, there in verse 28. Uh, but you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're intending to bring this man's blood on us. Well, think back to the famous part of the Passion story. What was happening with Pilate, Remember? He was going to release Jesus, remember? And then they rose up, no, 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 uh, release uh, Barabbas, release Barabbas. And he said, hey guys, he's done nothing wrong. As far as I see, he's an innocent man. I'm wiping my hands of his blood. His blood is on you. Remember that with Pilate? And they proudly said, let his blood be on us and on our children. And now look at what they're doing. You guys are intending to blame Jesus' death on us. Yes, that's true. That's exactly what happened. You guys said that's exactly what you wanted to happen. But at the same way, Luke includes that because his blood is on all of us. It wasn't just angry men or Jewish leaders. Jesus didn't die because of an angry opposition. Jesus died because of sins. So each one of us, that's what we bring to the table. And so in this, we can't forget that this mastery of God's plan was not just about overthrowing forces. It's about souls. It's about eternal souls. It's about our sins being the ones that put Christ on the cross there. And so we can't get so much into the um, storyline that we forget that, yes, it was these crowds that, that God's hand had set up to be against Jesus, but it was your sins and my sins is the reason he died. And so that was his beautiful plan. And so they bring those accusations against them. And here's the, the powerful part in Peter's sermon there in verses 29 through 32. Um, he says, um, we must obey God rather than men. And so you can't miss this. We must obey God rather than men. This Jesus and all that he did has completely changed us. We were a fearful, cowardice group, and now we're out proclaiming, getting persecuted, having crazy people just die off, and we're right back out proclaiming the gospel. We're right back out being faithful witnesses. And so you can see that. And so as the church goes on, you have to see that that's one of the things is the church has to be a faithful gospel presence because Jesus changed them. So think through, are you committed right now to obey God rather than maybe your closest friends who tempt you to sin? That could be uh, someone on the phone with someone and just turns into a whole bunch of gossip. 
That could be um, your little circle of friends that maybe they decide to do some things that you know that, that that's not it for you younger people. Just the, the people that you're around will constantly be influencing you and tempting you. For adults, the same thing. Uh, are you committed right now to obey God rather than your boss? If they tempt you to do some things that are ethically wrong, they tempt you to do some things that are um, maybe for the gain of profits, but, but it's treating people in an unethical way. Would you, would you go ahead and follow your boss's commands? Are you committed right now to obey God rather than your client or coworker, your client if, if there is tons of profit, or your coworker if it's tempting you to sin? Um, I've talked to many, many business guys, and after I get to know them for a while, they'll, they'll talk to me about situations I, I just haven't ever been in, where it's you know, a huge client for this company, million-dollar deals, but man, they expect to be entertained. And when they go on these outings, they expect to go out and find the women or find the bars or find the, the drugs or to do whatever. And so are people, are you, are you committed enough to God to say, I'm not going to do that, um, even if it means I have to change companies? And I've seen some guys do that. Um, are you committed right now to obey God rather than your spouse or your loved ones, your, your children even, even people in your family? Are, are you going to be able to stand and bring them to obedience and bring them to Christ and God's Word more than just what, what, what the easy, convenience way would be? And so this, this whole little section here that Peter goes into, um, what he's saying there is this is because of Jesus. We have to obey God instead of mankind. And so in this, this, this goes in, you, you, don't, you wouldn't hardly notice it. This is called a kerygma. This is an example of kerygma. I may be on the screen there. Um, uh, Clayton, I think they've got one about uh, kerygma versus uh, didache. And so um, the kerygma is fixed gospel facts. And so um, think of didache was it's just known as the teaching. And the didache was formal teaching, ethical teaching, moral teaching. So think of Sermon on the Mount, that's didache. Um, a lot of the New Testament letters that, that now the church, after the foundational time, because remember the, the New Testament letters weren't there, um, then they started hearing things from Paul like this and this and this, and also some of Jesus' teaching that got wrote into the uh, Gospels. That A lot of that was didache, meaning that it was ethical teaching. So love your neighbor, um, forgive, uh, do unto others. Um, that, that's further ethical teaching. And the point is, for the foundational level of the church, there were several places where this, this kerygma came in, and it was these main foundational gospel points. So the ones there is that, that it was um, the, the focal points of the gospel, the fixed gospel uh, message where he's looking at the, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the witness. And so you, you forget about that, that they, they had to be accurate, and they had to know that this truly was this message. So that's what comes out in, in the... Um, that kerygma there. And so you can see the crucifixion. There are several places that in, in one of the epistles of Paul or one of the teachings of in, in Acts where um, it comes out and they go specifically to these main gospel points. Um, and so it's going to talk about the crucifixion because death and atonement, death of Jesus and the atonement for sin was a foundational uh, tier one uh, point. A resurrection. We have to understand that. that. That accepted means that God accepted Jesus' death, and the resurrection is proof that the Father said wrath was expiated on that, that that was completely um, um, absorbed in Jesus. I accept that sacrifice for sins. And, and the proof is, I'm raising him to new life. And sometimes we don't know that about the resurrection. We're just like, oh, we get to raise from the grave. No, that was God saying, my approval, my stamp of approval is, I'm bringing him back to new life. And you get that new life because that was um, 
expunged to you. That was, that was um, put on you also. That Now that, that was all absorbed in Christ. My wrath was completely um, um, poured out on him. And I accept that as a um, forgiveness. And so then ascension. Uh, they had to have um, the idea that Jesus was with the Father and that he was preparing a home for us. They had to know those things. And then also um, the, the witnesses. So who was going to tell this? And so we know the New Testament letters. And so places like this is called kerygma. Just a little side note. And then um, other places in the Bible, they talk about the um, more on the just the didache. And so um, what if people just didn't know that there was this focus pattern? that you could just teach anywhere in the New Testament, just kind of hop around. And, and, and what if people got to the point where we were moving past what would get you in the door? Like if we moved on to good moral teaching or good life point application, but you weren't changed. Some would say that, man, two and a half generations was all about church being very religious, very keep the rules, very uh, much about the, the outward moral conformity. But why do we have... Uh, Tens of millions of people who never experienced new birth, who weren't saved first, who were trying to, uh, with their own power, hold it all together, keep all the rules, do all the right stuff. Now, some people were genuinely changed first. Kerygma, right? They, they understood the gospel. Some people just thought, man, I've got to get my life together. I've got to do all the, I, 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 I can keep the rules. I need better rules. I need better rules. I need better lists. And I can get better at this. How many tens of millions of people have experienced that in churches? And so, what if we're in this culture, in this nation, where there's this facade of a moral, principled rule-keeping without hearts that were constantly being transformed inwardly by the power of the Spirit through that gospel message? That It's about what Christ has accomplished. You can't do this on your own. Um, that's why we repeatedly hit on um, the idea of those... those what I call those you know, kind of seven rhythms for us of, first of all, just a, a conviction by the Holy Spirit over my sin. It shouldn't be just one time back at Falls Creek you know, 30 years ago. No, daily, weekly. And then when you are convicted, do you pause and confess? Is there confession of sin? So that's the second. So conviction of sin, confession of sin. Um, and then is there repentance where I go, man, and I realize I am doing that, God, would you change my heart and change me in that? I need repentance, so that's the third thing. And now, actually, renewal looks like you are changing. Transformation happens then. So through transformation, I turn, and now I'm walking in obedience, and now I'm enjoying God. Because of that, I'm resting in Him and rejoicing and worshiping. And so in that, that are, are we doing that? And so if, if you're a place that just says, hey, go keep more rules, or, or just go do the mission, just go do the mission, just go do the mission. Well, here, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on in my marriage. Do you know she's crazy? Do you know we're so separated from each other? Do you know our kids are going through all this? Do you know all these situations? Just don't go to the mission, your God-ordained mission. God wants to do this. And what happens? We, we, we remove the gospel. And so that's why they point out this idea of, man, it's got to be the gospel that's first of all changing us. And now you can obey. And now you can be empowered by the Spirit, not on your own strength. And so with all that comes about... Um, those are the things that, that bring out in that little point so you can kind of know that fact about the kerygma. Um, and then the very last part there, uh, we see the first martyrdom postponed. Um, Gamaliel's counsel. Now, most people don't know that Gamaliel was actually Paul's teacher. Um, Paul, so Saul in the Bible. Um, uh, Gamaliel was his teacher. Uh, Saul, who turns into Paul, that was his, his kind of shining star student. And so um, um, notice when he goes into this, he says um, that, that they were wanting to kill him, but then Gamaliel steps up and says, um, he, he's this guy that's respected and held in honor. And he says, hey, 
just remember, there's been lots of guys in the past that have risen up and got a following and it all dispersed and it come of nothing. You need to be careful in this because if these guys are right, then first of all, you may have killed the son of God. And so you need to really think through that. You're going to be on the wrong side of history, you Sadducees and Pharisees. And so some people go all the way to say that um, this was a conversion moment. There's some extra biblical writings beyond what we have in the New Testament. This is the only time, a couple other places, Gamaliel's mentioned. But um, they, they don't know that um, you know, for sure that he came to faith. Some people believe you know, like guys like him, Nicodemus, were coming to faith. So there's a possibility that Gamaliel will be in heaven one day. Uh, beautiful picture there. Um, but in that... Um, he talks them into waiting and postponing. And so they're released and they go out and they go out rejoicing because they are counted worthy to suffer um, for the name of Christ. And then we see this continuation, this summary statement by Luke. Um, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so um, this, this continuation after they went out rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer. And so just some questions as we close there. Um, Thinking through, what does that mean, counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ? Um, how well do you handle being dishonored or humbled um, for the name of Christ? Uh, because of the ripple effects of your commitment to Christ, because of your union with Christ, how well do you handle it when you're kind of looked down on, kind of almost looked at as not important or ignorant or foolish? Um, they understood that there was radical future reward, that there, there, there's going to be a time in heaven. So whatever we go through here in the name of Christ, any kind of suffering, it's going to be worthy of what we um, receive in heaven. So those closing um, walkaways, um, church plants, the first one I've got up there, just the ideas to think through. Uh, church plants and established churches will go through times of sowing the gospel, then growing in the gospel, and then rejoicing and treasuring God for what he has done. But that does not mean that there's no opposition. Uh, we may accidentally believe if we get everything correct, all will go well with no problems. And that's never the case for the church. You begin to think, oh, man, we're seeing growth. We're seeing these good things happen. We're seeing people sharing life together. We're doing these things. We're seeing these things happen. And so surely God wouldn't let, and then when something bad happens, we all go, oh, what's going on? Is God out of this? That's not the case. It's normal. Um, and then the second thing, it's when and not if persecution or opposition comes, we have the opportunity to remain committed as a faithful gospel um, uh, presence with perseverance. Um, don't get distracted from worship and fellowship and mission. It's easy to do when opposition comes. Um, and then the third thing, third thing there is, there is cost in holding to and proclaiming the true gospel. So that, that idea of kerygma, because it is naturally offensive to man's heart. And the fourth thing there is sojourners understand future eternal reward. Um, so think through that. Um, are there things that are going to hit my life? Are there points of opposition? Could be um, people right close to your life. Could be job workplaces. Could be neighbors. Could be extended family members. Um, opposition, persecution. So we don't have to attack back. We can be faithful, be humbled, listen to what's going on, see what's going on, pray, discern, and see God's faithfulness in that. And that doesn't mean God doesn't care, doesn't mean that God's out of the picture, but how do we respond in that? And thinking through to see um, the, the focused attention to get back to just worship and fellowship together, serving one another, caring for one another, and then to see the church continue to grow in, in depth. So um, let me pray as we close and as Brad comes up.
You may want to ask yourself as we spend some of this time just thinking through, what is it that God's trying to show me as I go through times of persecution or just opposition, suffering? What is it that you're wanting to show me, God? And I know we want it to be about a 30-minute lesson, and then can you change the circumstances? That's what, that's always my prayer request. But is God wanting to show me something and change me in that? Um, and then it, what, what does transformation look like? Am I going to the Spirit? Am I spending time alone with God? Father, we thank you for um, just the beauty of your protection of this church. We thank you for your power in growing. And truly, we're going to meet people in heaven one day that we're just reading about right now. We read over 3,000 souls saved, 5,000 souls saved. We read over um, um, the, the multitudes coming to know you, and we will get to hear stories from people one day about their actual live accounts and their own personal witness of these things that we're reading about. Um, and they will get to hear stories from us about what you've done in our lives, Lord. Um, would you allow us to have a deep trust in you and your sovereign purposes to understand that, that, that there is purpose in the painful situations, in opposition, in suffering, in persecution even, Lord. I pray, Father, specifically for the church here, not only just our local church, but churches in Tulsa, that, God, that we would have a bigger understanding as as things change um, in our political and cultural um, shifts that hit so quickly and so um, powerfully sometimes, that that we're going to have to be a people that are a faithful gospel presence in the midst of that, God. We pray that you would allow there to be grace for us in that, to help us to stand faithfully. Um, We thank you that you are with us in that, that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, and that you uh, continue to grow your church in depth and in number of souls saved. And so we pray that you allow us to be a part of that. Um, Allow your spirit to bring in people and bring those beautiful gifts of conviction and renewal. We thank you for um, your time in the Word. And uh, we pray that you would allow us to take some time just to uh, contemplate the beauty of this. In your name we pray. Amen.